Hey, man, great song. Help is on the way. I'm glad the Lord is always here, isn't he? He's always ready to help us in our, in our rough times. The psalmist said he is our refuge. Our refuge. He is my pavilion. He is my shelter. I don't know about you. I, I'm sure that uh, you folks probably never have many bad days. You probably just breeze right through. Everything's. This is a North Carolina term, or it may even be an Auburn term. Everything is hunky-dory. You know what that is? Good. But sometimes it's not for me. Tough, tough, tough times. I'm glad that God is always a very present help. A very present help in time of need. Thank you for that song. Thank you for all the singing today. Well, I'm telling you, Donald, that was, that was on top today. I love, uh, there is something about that song, uh, Precious Redeemer. There is just something about that song. I can be driving down the road and start singing that song. And uh, it won't take me long till I forget about everything. What a Redeemer. What a Savior that loved us so much went through Calvary for us. Well, I'm glad that you're here today. I'm glad you didn't go to a family reunion or didn't have the flu or didn't have a flat tire. Or back out of the driveway and hit a cat. I'm glad that you came today. And it is so good to see. I'm glad that uh, God has been so gracious to us. To allow us to have this great church to come and worship Him. Praise Him. And adore Him. And it is so good to see Virgil today. Bless his heart. Be much in prayer for him. And it is so good to see Linda here today. You pray for both of these. Both of these had uh, um, said goodbye to their, to their mate this week. We, we, we um, had the celebration of their lives this week. And uh, just be much in prayer for them. Pray that God will undergird them. They are in trouble. They do need help. And sometimes that help is a friend. And so uh, don't be bashful or shy. And people tell me all the time, I just don't know what to say. Just say anything. Just don't be stupid about it. <laughs> Just say something. Say, hey, I don't know what to say. I told you about the first, first, first death I ever had in my church. Jimmy, you'll like this. <laughs> first death. Boy called me. He said, my dad was cutting grass just a moment ago and fell dead on the lawnmower. And he said, uh, can you come up here? I said, I'll be right there. About six miles from the house, and I drove up to his house, and on the way up there, I'm saying, Lord, now this is my first death, and I need you to tell me what to say to him. And God didn't give me anything, nothing. I mean, it was like heaven just shut off. And I thought, I don't know what to do. Old boy's name was Heath. Well, we pulled in the driveway, and I'm telling Sandra, I don't know what to say. She said, well, just trust the Lord. Everything will be all right. Heath comes out of the house. Big old boy, weighed about 300 pounds. I said, I went around his neck, and I said, Heath, I'm sorry. He said, well, let's walk out in the yard here. So we walked out in the yard, and I said, Heath, 
uh, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm your pastor, and Heath hadn't been saved but three months. And I said, I'm your pastor, and I'm supposed to have all kinds of stuff to help you with, but I'll be honest with you. I asked the Lord to tell me what to say, and he didn't give me anything to say. <laughs> and this is what he told me. He said, Preacher, don't worry about it. Right after I called you, I got on my knees, and I asked the Lord to help me. And he said, I'll help you. He said, because David doesn't have anything to say to me. <laughs> Listen, uh, <laughs> know this. Sometimes just being there is what you need to do. And so let's pray for, for these dear folks as they're going through their process now. And uh, just ask God to, to give grace. And you might be that person that can be the person of grace. So remember those things today. It's um, just um, a great day to be in God's house. Beautiful day outside. Beautiful day inside. Uh, somebody's not going to have a good day because they dropped their fob something to their car. I don't know what it is. I think it's a Kia. Is that right? If this is yours, you can't get in your car in a minute. Uh, it's up here, okay? Everybody's looking in their pocket. That's the first thing I did. Somebody handed this to me a while ago, and the first thing I did was <laughs> make sure mine was still there. All right, it's up here if it's yours. And uh, so remember that. I talked to you a couple, uh, a couple of days ago about this, and last week we mentioned it again. There, there's a piece of paper you got in your bulletin a few weeks ago, and it's about seven for seven. And I want you to be praying for these people. There are seven people that you put on your list. If you didn't put just but a few, that's okay. That's not a problem. But what we're going to do at the end of the service today is we're going to put them all on the altar down here. So I want you to get yours ready. Now, if you, have, if you don't have uh, names on there, write some names while we're, while we're in the study today. And if you don't know anybody, make up some names. All right. We're talking about you got to see this man. You got to see this man. In John chapter 4, we read the story about a lady that met Jesus on a on a regular day. This is very important. On a regular day in your life, how many people do you meet? On a regular day in your life, how many people do you meet? And how many people do you ignore in your regular day of meeting? This woman met Jesus. He begins to tell her about her life and how that it's not right. And she begins to understand her need for the Savior. She trusts him. And in verse 29, she goes to her community. In verse 29, she says this, Come see a man which told me... Would you stand, please? I forget that sometimes. Would you stand? To honor God's Word, let's read this together. Okay? Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did is not this, the Christ. She had an experience that most of us have had. She met the Savior. 
And once she met the Savior, she knew she had to tell people that even on an average day, even in an ordinary situation, even at just a time of lunchtime, God can intervene in your life, and you can be the vessel that God uses on this ordinary, common day. Amazing thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, speak to our hearts now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Years ago, I read this story, and it's one of my favorites, and I think that's why I remember it. There was a uh, businessman in New York City, and it was a, a winter day, blustery, cold, just an old terrible winter day. And this man was leaving his office, and as he came out on the street, he noticed that not very many people were, were moving because it was so cold, such bad weather. But as he was walking down the street, there were some people milling around, and he saw this little boy about 10 years old, sitting on the curb, crying. So he felt compelled to stop. Now, he was tired from work and time to get home, get warm, get something to eat. But he said, I just felt like I needed to stop and talk to this little boy. He was just weeping so much. So he got down on the curb with me and said, son, is there something wrong? He said, oh, yes, sir. He said, well, uh, where's your parents? He said, my daddy's at home, but I can't go home. And he said, why not? He said, my dad sent me to the store with some money to get some stuff, and I was walking down the street looking at the money, and the wind blowed the money out of my hand. And he said, I can't go home. Because my daddy will beat me for losing that money, and I can't buy the stuff that we need. And the man said, well, son, you can't sit out here all night. He said, i tell you what I'll do. I'll take you to the store, and we'll get what you need, and then you can go home and tell your dad that you got what you needed. So they went to the store, and he bought the, the, the things that the little boy needed, and the little boy had those bags in his hand, and he was so happy. And he started to run away, run, go home. And all of a sudden, he turned around to the man and went up and hugged him real big. And the man said, son, that's okay. You don't have to do that. He said, uh, no, you don't understand. He said, what is it, son? And the little boy looked at him and said, I wish you were my daddy. I wish you were my daddy. The little boy picked up his bags and ran home. Guess what the businessman did? Can anybody guess what the businessman did? Can anybody guess what the businessman did? He what? No. He said, I'm recurring cry. I love those answers. You know what he did? He started looking for another little boy. <laughs> he loved that hug so much that he started looking for another little boy that he could rescue. 
Aren't you glad Jesus one day said, one's not enough. I want to rescue some more. I'm going to rescue some more. And on Calvary's tree, while he was bleeding and dying, and I was blind and undone, he died for me. And he said, I want some more. And I want some more. So one day, he's at the well. Before he goes through his death, he's at the well. And he knows that this woman is in trouble. And he says, I want to save one more. Wow. Is that not great? Let's pray and be dismissed. That's good enough. I promise you, that is good enough. That, boy, God loved us so much. That he died to save one more. One more. And he's looking. What he needs now is he needs for us to be involved in this personal evangelism. We need to be in a place where we are looking for another one. We need to be in a place where we are trying to touch someone else's life. Do you understand that what we've got to do, just like this lady did, we've got to tell people about this man. Now, what she does, and let's go through those those uh, first. We did that last week. Let's get to the one that says experience. Because I want to talk to you real quickly today about what this lady did in the life of the Savior to motivate him toward helping her. You see, I think that the people we brush against don't impress us enough and don't get our hearts enough so we don't pay any attention to them. I think that if we looked around us, honestly, if we looked around our neighborhood, if we looked around the grocery store that we shop in, if we looked around the the clothing store we go to, if we looked around the, the ballpark when we're at the ball game, if we looked around, we would see people that are absolutely hurting desperately. And yet we kind of brush against them without much concern. Jesus is sitting at the well, and what he does is he's, he's actually thirsty, and he sits down and to rest during the mid, middle of the day, which was very common. The disciples go get something to eat, and this lady steps up, and she's a Samaritan. And the Samaritan, of course, is the Palestinian of today, so they don't get along. The Jews and the Palestinians do not get along. Same with the Samaritans. And so Jesus is sitting at this well called Jacob's Well, and the, the woman comes up to him. Now, what most of us would do is we would say, hey, how you doing today? Right? And the person would say, I'm fine, how are you? If it even got that deep, sometimes it's just a nod. Jesus didn't do that. He took a step further and asked her for a drink. And she said, I can't get this. I don't understand this. What is this about? That I am a Samaritan and you're a Jew and you're talking to me and you know that we have no dealings with one another. Now, he did not mean monetary dealings because they're just going to buy some food. He meant that they had no, nothing in common. They had no conversation. They had nothing that they wanted to talk to one another about. And so she says, I'm puzzled with this. And so what I want you to see in this real quickly is the experience she had was because of his motivation. His motivation 
to touch her life. Now, there are three things about his motivation. What motivated him to touch her? What motivated him to get involved? The first one was her approachableness. Now, listen to what he says. He says in verse number 9 of chapter 4, this is John chapter 4, verse number 9. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. You see, she was actually unapproachable. Now, I think that we many times love when people are cold-hearted and unapproachable. It gives us an excuse not to get involved. It keeps us at arm's length. We don't have to get involved now. They, they, they don't want that. They don't want, I listen, I hear oh, Jack Howells, used to, he wrote a book called Let's Go Soul Winning. And Jack Howells himself even said that sometimes he's knocking on the door hoping nobody's at home. <laughs> listen, I want you to know, it, it, it's good to get off the hook. It's good to get off the hook because, you know, most people are unapproachable. Oh, I don't have to talk to my neighbor because he won't even speak to me. I don't have to talk to my family because most of them are mad at me. I don't have to talk to this person. The truth is that Jesus saw how unapproachable she was and that motivated him. He saw the challenge here. Now, what, what made her unapproachable? I think the first thing you'd have to say is that she had a secret life. She didn't want it to be known. She didn't want people to know her secret. She wasn't a, 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 um, a lady that had a pretty rough reputation. And she didn't want people to know that. And certainly, she didn't want this Jewish man that's now engaging her, she didn't want him to know anything about her. Now, I want you to know this. Please listen closely. If every person in here had to tell the skeletons that are in your closet, you would never come back to this church. <laughs> I wouldn't, I guarantee you. <laughs> if, I, if y'all gave me, what's that truth serum? Um, Sodium what? Yeah, yeah, y'all got it. Y'all got it. If y'all gave me that, I promise y'all wouldn't come back here. Listen, all of us have secrets. All of us have stuff that we don't want. Listen, there, there are things that only God knows. And I told Sandra one day um, that, you know, being a pastor, people tell me stuff that they don't want anybody to know. And so there's a lot of people going to be glad when I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> so here it is. She was unapproachable because of her secret life. I want you to know this. Your life is not a secret. No, no, no. You may think you have your sin covered. As a matter of fact, the scripture talks about it. He that cuts his sins, what? Shall not prosper. And it will be revealed. Your sin's going to come out. Don't, don't think that you can live a secret life. It's going to reveal, now not all your deep secrets, but this lady was living in such a way that she didn't want him to know. And so know this, that she was living a secret life, and that made her unapproachable. The second thing was that she was scared of change. 
here it is that um, he's offering her a change in her culture. And I'm amazed at how many people do not want a change in their culture. I like it like it used to be. We were talking the other day. I don't know where this conversation was. But we were talking, oh, it was uh, Billy Vickery and I were talking about when we were kids, we didn't go to the barbershop. Mama put a towel around our neck or a bed sheet around our neck, and then she cut our hair. Not with electric clippers, but with hand clippers. How many, how many have ever seen a pair of hand clippers? All right. How many have ever had your hair cut with one? Then you know exactly what I'm talking about because they didn't cut your hair. It pulled it out. It just pulled it out. Pulled it out. Say, Mama, come on. You're killing me, Mama. Sit still, boy. <laughs> Listen, I, you, you can have all the hand clippers you want. I'm going to a barbershop where they cut my hair with electric clippers. I don't care about change of culture. I, as a matter of fact, I really like the changes that I see. Y'all are sitting on padded pews. Y'all remember the pews that used to be slat pews? Huh? Thank God. Raise your hand. Thank God for padded pews. Hey, man. Don't be so stubborn. And the people around us sometimes are so stubborn and they're unapproachable because they're so stubborn. He didn't let that bother him. He didn't let that change him. He kept going because even though she was so stubborn, and then the last thing is that she was unapproachable because she was suspicious of anybody that would want to talk to her or have anything to do with her. Now, I promise you this. One of the hardest things as a pastor that I have to deal with is that people think I have an agenda. If I go to a social gathering, I mess up the social gathering. They can't say what they want to say. They can't drink what they want to drink. They can't smoke what they want to smoke. They can't listen to what they want to listen to. Because the preacher's here. The preacher's here. The preacher's here. Hey, preacher's in here. And, and church folks, I, listen, you can't pull the wool over my eyes. Y'all do the same thing. The preacher's here. Hey, preachers in the church, you know what I say to y'all? <laughs> Listen, I want you to know, you don't need to be suspicious of me. I'm not going to hurt you. My goal in my life and my ministry and every preacher I know wants you to live the best, greatest top of the notch life you can live and that's our only purpose in being the preacher of the gospel is to get you to know the savior and live on top of life that's all we want to do don't be suspicious and if you will have a heart like that even people that you minister to will not be so suspicious of you as a matter of fact probably the best thing you could not the, the best thing you could do is, first of all, not tell them you go to Lion Creek Baptist Church. Now, I know that's bad because I want them to come to Lion Creek. But, see, they think you're trying to get them into your church because they think this is a little club over here and that we all sit around and eat chicken casserole. 
They think that's what it is. And so they're suspicious. And this lady was suspicious. That's what motivated him, her approachable. The second thing that motivated him was her attitudes. Her attitudes. Well, she had some attitudes. Her first attitude, I think, that we might see was her resentment. Her resentment of, of the fact of their barriers in their culture and their lifestyle. She was resentment. She was resentful because she was, first of all, a woman. For him to speak to her was just really a little bit out of her range. Now, she had come to draw water, and he knew that. So he just simply engaged her as a normal person. One of the problems that lost people have with us when we engage them is they sense a superiority in our attitude. So they, in turn, resent that superiority. I'm going to tell you this. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm going to tell you this. I I am just like you are. I am just simply a sinner that's saved by grace. God took an old sinner and saved me. Nothing. There's nothing superior about me. There's absolutely nothing superior about me. If you leave me to myself and take the Lord Jesus away from me, I cannot tell you how bad I would be. I tell you I'm mean. Y'all don't know how mean I could be. You see, there's no difference because I'm a Christian now and you're not a Christian. There's no superiority here. Now, thank God, I don't do the things I used to do, but that doesn't make me superior. It only makes me happy. Doesn't make me superior. There's no self righteousness here. I cannot tell you there's any good in me. I have no good. If Jesus Christ had not come into this life, I want you to know something. This old boy would have been a mess. My daddy said I'd been in prison. And I probably agree with him. But thank God Jesus came in and made the difference. I am not different. Jesus made the difference. I'm not superior. He is superior. And so when we come to people, we need to have that. Now, what he did was he made her feel like she was worthy of conversation. So he took away the resentment. The second thing that he dealt with was her resistance. There was a resistance to to his authority being a Jew. She was resistant to that. She didn't, want, she didn't want to hear anything from a Jewish man. For one thing, she was a woman. And she didn't want to hear anything from a Jewish man. So she began to resist what he was saying. And a lot of times people resist authority in their life. They resist the association. But most of all, I think people resist when we talk about the Lord is they resist the atmosphere that we create. Now listen close to me. Jesus said that he had come into the world to save those which were lost. And in John chapter 3 he says, Now the Son of Man was lifted up, and men loved darkness 
rather than light because their deeds are what? Evil. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Now, I want you to know something. You can walk into every bar and say, how many of y'all like to quit drinking? And they'll kick you out. Right? You can walk into every nightclub and say, you need to live a life of holiness and honor to God. And they'll kick you out. There's an atmosphere. And there's an atmosphere we create as a believer that many times the attitudes of the people around us don't want that atmosphere. Have you ever wondered about this? This is an amazing thing. There is a buzzard that feeds on dead animals' flesh. And there is a hummingbird that feeds on the nectar of the flowers. Wouldn't it be great if the buzzard would like the flowers? Wouldn't it? And so the hummingbird says, Hey, Mr. Buzzard, come over here and eat my flowers. And you know what he says? Are you kidding? I'm not leaving this dead carcass. Aren't y'all appetized now? I made, I made lunch real good for you. And the buzzard says, I'm sorry. I love this meat. I love this meat. See, the reason that people do not follow us is because of their appetite, their attitude. And then last of all is their appetite. Her problem was she was not approachable. Her approachableness was not there. She had attitudes that were not right. And she had appetites that were definitely bad for her. I'll give them to you real quickly. The first one was that she was just living in sensuality. More and more of my life, I recognize that the one God of this world that has trapped us more than any other God hasn't been riches. It's not the love of money. And throughout the Scriptures, you're going to find the writers of Scripture dealing with the sin of sensuality. If it feels good, do it. If it's something that will bring you pleasure, it's okay. And the truth is, is that the appetites of the human race have become decadent and degraded. And what we have to do is we have to tell people that your appetites are keeping you from the great peace that you can live in. Now, that's a hard message. And to be honest with you, I think the reason we don't preach and we don't witness and we don't talk to those casual people we meet is because we know that they're steeped in this sensuality and we don't know what to do about it. She was so full of sensuality. She was bent on satisfaction of the flesh. She was bent on self-fulfillment. And she was bent on self-destruction. She had been married to five men. She was a young woman. So you know that this had been very, very uh, unusual. She was married to five men, and the man that she was living with wasn't her husband. So she was actually living in sin with a man she wasn't married to. So now, 
everything kind of just laid open. And Jesus says, your problem is your thirst. What you're wanting, what your appetite is, what, what you're craving is you're craving the pleasure that satisfies for a brief moment, but it gives you no real satisfaction to take away the thirst. Now, I want you to know this. All of us have thirst. Every person has thirst. So none of us are are unique or exempt from this. What we have to do is we have to know that the Lord wants us to come to Him and have that thirst quenched. And He does it through the power of His love and the blood that He shed on Calvary's tree. And He sets us free from this craving. And He says, if you'll drink of this water, You'll never thirst again. Now, what does that mean? It means I'm never going to sin? No, that's not what it means. It means I'm never going to have any evil thoughts? No, that's not what it means. Does it mean that uh, I'm never going to uh, fall into sin or, or do something wrong? No, that's not what it means. It means this, that the satisfaction that God gives us when He saves us is so great that we know that it is what we will need for all of our life, and we live in that to the degree that it overrides all of those urges, those sensualities. It overrides that, and we begin to live and walk in the Spirit of God so that we are now living at life's optimum level. Wow. Do you know that six... Not at Lion Creek. But six out of ten men in the church. Six out of ten men in the church. Six out of ten men in the church have problem with pornography. It's there. It's on the computer. It's right there. Now I'm going to tell you this. These things are things that destroy our lives. And Jesus says... Don't drink of that water. It keeps you thirsty. But drink of my water. And it'll satisfy you so you won't be drawn into this lifestyle. You won't be drawn into these things. It's not just pornography. It's everything. When we learn to be satisfied with Jesus, let Him totally satisfy our longings, we will find the peace that this lady had when she went to her community and said, you got to come and see this man. He has changed my thirst. (laughs) (laughs) He's changed where I drink and what I drink. Wow. He's changed who I am from what I was. Oh, man. Know this. There are people that you brush against every day that need the water of life. If you brush against them and you don't pay attention to them, you can be in trouble. And I think God's going to hold us accountable. Now, folks, I'm not fussing at you. I'm telling you, we just, all of us, don't pay attention to the people around us. They're hurting And they need somebody to help them. 
They need somebody to help them. And we've got the message, and we've got the help. So we've got to give it to them. Close with this story. Oh, I've, been, I've been thinking about this, how to close this message out for, for some time now. And this, was, this is what God gave me. may not make any sense to you, but it does to me. A few years ago, I woke up in the middle of the night. I had AFib. I had my heart got out of rhythm, and they put me in the hospital, and the doctors shook their head and said, we can get his heart right, but we can't do anything with this man. So they got my heart back in rhythm. And my doctor told me, my, my doctor is Dr. Druva. He's a Hindu, and uh, he's, a, he's a great, great man. And we have good conversation. Pray for me in the conversations that uh, I can share the Lord Jesus with him. At any rate, Dr. Druva told me, he said, I want you to get your blood pressure machine. Worst thing I ever did. Get your blood pressure machine, and I want you to keep a record of your blood pressure. So I get up in the middle of the night one night, and I'm scared to death. I check my pulse all the time. It's a wonder I don't do it in the pulpit. I check my pulse all the time. Am I still beating? And so I wake up in the middle of the night, and I'm panicked. Cold sweat and all kind of stuff. So I grab that blood pressure machine, and I check my blood pressure. Don't do that. Do not check your blood pressure in the middle of the night, especially when you first wake up. I checked my blood pressure. It was a hundred and what was it? Hundred and eighty-seven over a hundred and twelve. Stroke. I am panicking. I run downstairs and I say, "Sandra, Sandra, Sandra! Oh, what's wrong? What's wrong? I'm gonna go die." She said, "Go to bed." I want you to know something. This is the truth. 187 over 112. I would have paid what little bit of money I have, I would have paid for Dr. Druva to be in my own room right then. Right? I would have paid to have him say, it's okay. And to let me get some sleep that night. Y'all, y'all follow me? I'm going to tell you what. There are people living in that kind of panic every day of their life. Not about their blood pressure, but about their sin condition. And they would do anything they could to find a moment of victory in their life. What are we doing? Are we helping them find that victory? Are we letting them live in their misery? It's up to us. There are people all around us brushing against us all the time, and they would like to have a doctor help them right now. I've got a doctor. His name is Jesus. (laughs) And when he touches you, he changes everything. If you need to come to him, I invite you to come right now. Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father... Every person in this room has thirst. Every person in this room has thirst. And I know that there are things, even in my life, 
that thank you that you satisfied some of them, but they're still those old worldly things that still make us thirsty. Help us, Lord, to trust you to, to quench all of the world's thirst and to help us to find nothing but joy and peace in you. And then, Lord, there are some folks that they've never found any real joy in their life. Life is constant misery. Life is constant struggle, constant fulfillment issues. And I pray that today you would help those that have never trusted you, that they would do that today, give you full surrender in their lives so they might live this life that is thirst-free. And we'll praise you for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.